Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Stu does America. Get the election info that you need with the State of the Race series. It's a special bonus podcast available audio only on the Studios America stream, wherever you get your podcast. New episode tomorrow. Going to go into some of the border challenges for the Biden candidacy. It's going to be pretty interesting stuff. You can also check us out uh, on this show. It can be found at youtube.com slash America. By the way, go there, subscribe, and click the bell for notifications. We've got a new bit, sketch, whatever you want to call it, uh, out about the border that is out came out today, a few hours ago. So go there and check it out. It's about sanctuary cities. I think you'll appreciate it. Josh Hammer is going to be here. He's got some stuff on the border and Donald Trump's legal battles. Joe Biden's Middle East situation is heating up. Uh, luckily, he's not a thousand years old and riddled with dementia. So we're in good hands. But we start by doing Biden's border bluff. Everything's on fire. So let's find this particular fire to see if we can put a little bit of it out uh, today. Now, look, Joe Biden is trying. He he realized. No, look, he's been saying the border's been secure the entire time. But you should totally believe him when he says now that he wants to shut the border down, because obviously that's completely consistent. Biden offers fresh assurances that he would shut down the border right now. If Congress sends him a deal, and if you're at all skeptical about that, congratulations, you're alive. But here he is saying it anyway. It also give me as president the emergency authority to shut down the border until it could get back under control. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. Uh, <laughs> do you believe that? Again, it's not automatic. It's giving him the authority to do it. We're going to get into the details of what this deal supposedly is. Again, we don't have the actual bill yet, but we do have a decent reporting on it, and we'll give that to you here in a second. I am curious, though, he, Biden wants to shut the border down. What happened to the whole racism issue? Wasn't the whole reason we didn't, like, they didn't want to shut the border down is because uh, the whole motivation for that was that evil Republicans were racist and didn't want people who didn't look like them coming across the border. Now Biden wants to shut the border down? Is he racist? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Donald Trump, by the way, is not going to let this happen. He's the candidate basically at this point. He's been leading the party for, I don't know if you've noticed, almost a decade now. And he's not going to let this thing go through. Trump, uh, House Republicans plot to kill border deal. And you might say, well, what if he can't do that? Because if he does that, he'll get the blame for killing a border deal. You don't want that to happen, right? Uh, wrong. Donald Trump brags about efforts to stymie border talks. Please blame it on me. He knows a good political issue for him when he has one. And of course, you know, look, if people believe this is really going to solve the problem, maybe it's a different discussion. But I think everyone realizes it's not going to solve the problem. And Trump says, well, why would we give Biden some win on the border here a few months before I can take over and actually do something about it? Uh, he believes it's going to help him win the election. And he's probably right on that. Now, Ken Paxton is in the news as well, the Texas attorney general. He's refusing to grant federal agents full access to a border park. He says your request is hereby denied. 
And it's a fancy letter that comes out. You know, some of it's, you know, look, it's legalese. You, you know, might uh, need to, you might fall asleep a little bit. This is what it looks like. But I think, you know, honestly, some of it is so fun to go through. I just want to give you at least this part. It's a little lengthy, but it's fun. You say, the, he's talking to the United States government here. You say the United States acquired a per- perpetual easement from the city of Eagle Pass in 2018. What I said to you last week, I will say again about your latest claim. Texas never approved that transaction as required by Article 4, Section 10 of the Texas Constitution. Your federal agency cannot have something that was not the city's to give. But even if this particular uh, arrangement were somehow valid, you are not seeking access consistent with its terms. The non-exclusive easement from 2018 is attached for your convenience. He's so nice. Ken Pack, he's just nice. He doesn't want you to have to search for it. It's attached right here. Its express purpose was to allow maintenance of a road along the river, including, quote, the right to trim trees or other obstacles within the roadway. Elsewhere, the 2018 easement prohibits the United States from making any permanent improvements other than a roadway without city approval. If your federal agency wishes to help municipal officials with tree trimming and road maintenance chores, well, I suspect they would appreciate the help. The 2018 easement, however, nowhere contemplates allowing the federal government to deploy infrastructure that President Biden will use to waive thousands of illegal aliens into a park that will continue to be used and enjoyed for recreation events. In other words, no. Just uh, my reading of it legally. No. And this is going to be a back and forth and it's going to get very, very ugly. Now, I think if you are a thinking person, you might be at this point saying, "Okay, there's this border deal. Currently, we just heard about multiple lawsuits and back and forth angry legal letters between the state of Texas and the U.S. government. Biden is suing Texas for enforcing the law that, of course, the United States government should be enforcing anyway. And the fact that they're doing that might make you a tad skeptical about his claims to close the border. Again, if you're thinking that way, you're probably alive. You have a functioning brain, unlike the person we're talking about now, President Joe Biden. But the fact that he claims that he likes this deal and he wants it to be passed and then he can sign, it kind of tells you that the deal probably sucks, right? But that's just a very surface analysis. So let's go through what is actually in the bill. And I want to be, I'll be as um, charitable as possible here, because as we all know, uh, these things are difficult to hammer out, right? Immigration policy, typically a very difficult thing. Usually when you support immigration policy, especially as a Republican, your political career falls apart. You find this, uh, Lindsey Graham has done this, uh, Marco Rubio tried it, George W. Bush tried it. These types of things are not popular among the base because the base believes that the law should be the law. And like when people tell you don't come into the country illegally, we're kind of like insistent on it. We really don't want it to happen. We'd like you to come legally. We're actually thrilled to have you if you come legally. I mean, going through that process, as arduous as it is, and you want to come here and melt into society, awesome. Happy to have you. Thrilled to have you here. It's probably a real improvement for the United States. We have a bunch of weirdos here. I mean, maybe you're not one of them. It'll be great. Maybe we get a normal person uh, to come in from another country. We're fine with that if you do it legally. 
You need to do it the right way. You can't just walk across. You can't just swim. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. I don't care if you're the new Michael Phelps. No, 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 no. Come in legally. Now, Bill Malugan from Fox News has done a really good job reporting on the border. I mean, his stuff has really been, I have to say, legitimately impressive reporting over a long period of time by Bill Malugan. And he uh, has a source in the Senate, I believe, uh, who broke down what is in this bill. Let's go through it, because what you've probably heard, if you're listening, especially to conservative media, at least what I've heard from conservative media largely is, well, this could allow up to 1.8 million illegal immigrants in and everything would be fine. There would be no additional restrictions. And that is technically true, though it's uh, it would be difficult to achieve, I will say, at least under the way the bill is written, if you actually believe the bill. Let's go through it real quick. Um, Senate border deal details per source familiar. I had a Senate source uh, I had a call with uh, mandatory detention of all single adults. So you come over here as a single adult, you're automatically going to be detained. Now, what does that mean in practice? What that means in practice is no single adults come, right? What, who comes instead, they start dragging children and women with them when they cross the border. That's not exactly an improvement. It'll actually probably increase the overall number of people coming across the border. But at least if there was a single person coming across, you could say, all right, well, um, you're going to be detained. But I ask you this question. Just in the world that we live in, let's just say two single men came across, but they said instead they were a couple. What if they came across and one of them said they were a woman? How would our government deal with that? I've got uh, news for you. Not well. Uh, Not well. Um, Malugan goes on. Mandatory shutdown of border once average daily migrant encounters hit 5,000. 5,000 is the number they're projecting to get you that 1.8 million that everybody on the right is talking about. Um, Importantly, this 5,000 number includes 1,400 CBP one-app entries at ports of entry per day and roughly 3,600 illegal crossings per day. So in that 5,000 are 1,400 that are already allowed through the current uh, process and then 3,600 that are coming across illegally. Okay, 5,000 a day, if you project that out, gives you roughly 1.8 million. That's where that number is coming from. You also may have heard it as 150,000 a month. That's a lot, although it's down from where we are right now. Importantly, it's an average. So it's not like they would let the first 5,000 in, in theory. Again, like, you know how these things work, but like, it's not like they would have let 5,000 in, in theory, and then the, uh, and then they, then they would start getting sensitive about who came in after that. In theory, the average number would have to be 5,000 a day. That is a below current levels, but it is a high number for normal times. Like that is a high number. It's above Trump. It's above Obama. It's way the heck up there. Uh, Malugan goes on. How is this enforced? Once the 5,000 threshold is hit, A new authority is codified into law that requires Border Patrol to immediately remove illegal immigrants they catch without processing. Again, look at how this is written. A new authority is is codified. That doesn't necessarily mean it's guaranteed, right? But the right of the president to do this would be there in theory. They would not get to request asylum. They would be immediately removed. This includes removals back to Mexico and deportations to home countries. This would be a massive change from current policy, which is that once an illegal immigrant reaches U.S. soil, they must be processed via Title VIII and allowed to claim asylum. Under this new authority, they are not processed and they are mandatorily immediately removed 
once the shutdown threshold is reached. Okay, so you get to a level that's pretty high, higher than Obama, higher than Trump, but lower than Biden when it comes to illegal immigrants. And this new authority kicks in. Again, it's unclear what the mechanism is. Biden keeps talking about it as if it's basically optional for him to do, not necessarily a requirement of law. Some of the senators are talking about it more as a requirement. We'd have to see how that was fleshed out. But once you got to over 5,000, that average was hit, they would just basically be able to kick everybody out and, and they wouldn't have to listen to BS asylum claims. That would be an improvement from current law. This shutdown, as they're talking about, also takes effects if there's 8,500 migrant encounters in a single day. So again, if, there, you know, if you're at... The reason why I say the 1.8 million is a little bit misleading is it would be impossible to average, to keep that average exactly at 5,000 and never go above it. In theory, this this level would kick in eventually. However, there's also this this uh, situation with 8,500 per day. If it goes over 8,500, even for one day, they could uh, kick this uh, shutdown into effect. And when I read that the first time, I was like. That's actually surprising they would give up that much, right? Like that is, that is a, I mean, Malugan's right. That is a legitimate change from current law. More on that here in uh, just a second. Let me get down the, uh, the, the breakdown because you're saying, well, could the shutdown, what does that mean? A few hours of shutdown? No, that's actually addressed in the bill. Here's what it says. The shutdown would not lift the next day. It wouldn't lift until daily encounters are reduced to under 75% of the 5,000 threshold for at least two weeks. This means the shutdown authority would not lift until two weeks of an average of less than 3,750 migrant encounters per day. Again, that's still a pretty high number, but it's back to basically Trump and Obama levels. So if it gets elevated, they can they can, they shut down the border until that number gets down, 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 down to about 3,750. Now, 3,750 is not zero. You'll notice it has zero in it, but it's not zero. And that's kind of a problem for conservatives who actually care about the border. The goal should be zero, not 3,750, not 5,000, not 8,500. should be zero. Again, you realize that zero is difficult. It's a very long border. I understand that. But uh, you do. that should be the goal at all times, not to get it under 3,750. Uh, some family units will be released with alternatives to detention, like ankle monitors, etc., and new removal authority to immediately remove all migrants who do not have valid, valid asylum, asylum claims. Read that again. New removal authority to immediately remove all migrants who do not have valid asylum claims, asylum claims, which will be determined within six months rather than the years-long process that we have now. So they're going to speed up this process, supposedly. People who are BSing it are going to get sent home. Again, that's what they say. Any migrant trying uh, to, co- to cross twice during a shutdown phase would be banned from entering for one year. Now, look, that's completely ridiculous to me. If you try twice in a period where there's a shutdown, I mean, trying once during the shutdown should make it so you could never come in again. Twice in a shutdown is, should be a lifetime ban. For some reason, it's a one-year ban, and then you try again. I don't even understand how that works. U.S. will need agreement with Mexico um, to uh, take back the non-Mexican illegal immigrants. This hasn't been ironed out yet. You get that. President Biden approves the deal, ready to sign it as is right now, and implement the new authority it would give him. Well, of course he does, right? The reason why Biden wants to sign this is because, at, number one, it gives him authority. He can, of course, not use that authority. At least that's the way it seems to be written. And number two, it gives him a win on the border. Look at all the things that I'm doing. 
I was able to get a bipartisan deal, blah, 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 blah. This probably would improve the current situation at some level. So he could claim a win there, take the issue away from Donald Trump, and I guess, you know, run or, you know, hide in his closet until uh, November. That's, I think, what he's hoping for here. Now, there are some other details here. I want to give you one little one from Manu Raju from CNN, who also reported on what is in this deal. And it has a couple of interesting differences from Malugan's reporting. Again, that could just be the source that they're talking to. But he says, um, new details of the Senate deal on the border. Cinema Lankford and Murphy would empower U.S. to significantly restrict border crossings if they surged 5,000 a day or 8,500 in a single day. Same there. In essence, border would be effectively shut down now to migrants, parentheses, not fleeing persecution, and who are not entering at ports of entry, as December caused more than 300,000. So we're talking about illegal immigrants. As long as they're not fleeing persecution, they all say they're fleeing persecution. That's the whole problem. Like 100% of the problem is that they're now just saying, oh, we're being persecuted in Cancun or whatever, and we need to come in. Um, and not entering at points, parts, uh, points of entry. So if you do go to points of entry, is it okay? I mean, from Raju's reporting, that's kind of what it sounds like. He goes on to talk about the deal a little bit more. But the question here is, I don't know. Would this actually shut down the border? I think there's a million holes in this plan, even if it were sufficient to you or me, right? Like, I want a much more strict border policy for illegal immigrants, okay? That's what I want. I understand that I am not in line with uh, the senators who are, you know, out there right now uh, negotiating this and certainly not in line with Biden on this. But, like, if this probably would be better than what we have right now, the question is, would it shut down the border? Well, number one, you have to believe Biden that he would actually use the authority. Why would he? You know, he could always just deny that. And number two, it's a big win for, uh, of course, him going into the election. A really tough thing that he's not going to get, especially if Trump has anything to say about it. Now, the other part of this is, will they actually go through with it? Even if Biden did activate this authority, would they actually shut the border down? Would they do what they say they would do? And the, qu the answer to that is obviously no. There's a ton of laws right now that can secure the border, and they just don't follow them. They don't enforce them. They've said this over and over and over again. They just ignore those laws because they say they have the ability to ignore them and enforce them as they see fit. Is that okay? No. But they would make the same argument with this bill. Now, there was a world maybe 30 years ago where people had enough faith in the government to say, all right, well, it's on paper. Maybe this will go through. I mean, they had a border wall in the 90s in certain areas near San Diego, for example. And uh, there was supposed to be much more border law, uh, wall built into that. And what happened? Some moderate Republican who, uh, for the moment, will be named, uh, will be left nameless, though she does have a convention center in Dallas um, named after her, uh, will come in and say, oh, actually, let me tweak this part, this part, this part, and the shall be built will turn into may be built, and then it will never be built. So despite the fact that they went through all this trouble to get the border wall in, it's not there. And that is the problem over and over again. No one trusts the government, nor should they. They constantly lie about this over and over and over and over again. The law already says they should be arresting these people, detaining them and kicking them out of the country. They just don't do it. So why would another bill saying the same thing when you give Biden a win be worth doing it? I, I don't I don't know. Can you come up with a reason? Because I can't. 
over and over again, you come back to the same solution, is if they were taking this seriously, this would be easy. But of course, they're not taking it seriously. What they want is some on-paper effort to say, look, we did something, boys and girls. Everything's going to be fine because we were there to rescue the problem. And if, if even if illegal immigration just happens to naturally drop, which would not be surprising considering how high it is, it's the highest of all time. If it just goes back to normal levels, they will claim some big win. Biden will have this big win out of this and then uh, ride that in his broom closet uh, to the White House for another four years. That doesn't sound appealing to me, and I don't think it sounds appealing to the overwhelming majority of Republicans in Congress. You know, one thing we do have plenty of is fentanyl. Okay, that's coming across the border all the time. And we're not going to have a shortage of that forever. That's like the thing we have in spades. But I will say we are having drug shortages hitting a record high, the ones you're supposed to be taking. And that's causing severe disruptions in medical treatments. There are delays. There are treatment cancellations. There is the unfortunate rationing of health care. Even drugs like the antibiotic amoxicillin are in short supply right now, along with 294 others. Unacceptable. Unacceptable for the United States. Doctors are even being uh, saying that they have to make impossible choices, including choosing which patients will be prioritized to receive potentially curative therapy. This is why you need the Jace case. Yes, it's a personalized emergency kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can get your own. You can buy a gift card for your family or your loved ones, and they can get a Jace case of their own and personalize it to their needs. Go to jacemedical.com, J. ASEMedical.com and enter the code STU at checkout for a discount on your order. The promo code is STU at JASEMedical.com. J A S E Medical.com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. So we're getting into election season, and one of the big parts of this, now that kind of the primary is sort of dissolved in front of our eyes, the question is really like, okay, what? going forward is going to go on with Donald Trump's legal situation. I'm thinking about this a couple of months ago, and I'm reading the New York Times, unfortunately. And they have this, I think it was the Times, and they have this big breakdown of all these podcasts that are coming out. And they're like, there's going to be these daily update podcasts, and it's from like the Communist Party. And, you know, I don't know, every, every left-wing media source has a, uh, a podcast coming out about the Trump legal situation that is going to give me no good information, right? And I'm thinking to myself, how, you know, I'm not a lawyer. How am I going to understand this every day? And I'm like, I hope somebody comes up with a good one from the conservative side. And there's one company that's like, oh, we're going to do one from the conservative side. And I'm like, I hope that one doesn't suck. And then I am happy to find out the new host of this particular podcast is Josh Hammer, the senior editor-at-large for Newsweek, host of American America on Trial with Josh Hammer, which premiered its first episode today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so glad this thing exists, Josh, because this is it's a freaking it's chaos to me. Stu, that's a very flattering introduction. Thank you so much for that. And it's always great to join you, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing well. And thanks so much. And thanks so much for doing this. This is going to be really important because I feel like there is there's sort of two versions of Trump legal coverage right now, which is one is the mainstream media, which says he's the worst person in the world and literally Hitler and all the things that we know from the mainstream media. And then, you know, to be fair, there's this sort of like 
Trump-like defense you know, team that almost acts as Trump's lawyer in conservative media who that basically says everything that Trump did was fine and this is all trumped up, to, to use the phrase, cases, which some of that is you know, true, but it's not universally true and it's also not universally how it's going to come out in the court system. Right. So I, you know, I'm, really help, I'm really happy that you're gonna be here to break this down for us. Can you kind of give us a, I don't know, a 50,000 foot view of where these, you know, what four main cases stand at this point? Sure. So, you know, first of all, Stu, I agree with you that most of the media, when it comes to to this particular topic, the Trump litigation in particular, does tend to be in one of those two camps. Does tend to be in the classic New York Times, CNN, kind of hysterically anti-Trump, Trump derangement syndrome, TDS media. And then on the other hand, you do have an economy, a, a mini economy unto itself that, that to an extent is really centered around the, the broader Trump orbit. And you do have media actors and, and some institutions that do exist essentially as Trump defense lawyers. But I, I am neither of those two things. I am a very conservative guy. I'm obviously an attorney. And Stu, I, I was fairly public, as you know, that I was actually a supporter of Ron DeSantis in the primary. Now, I, I've said repeatedly that I look forward to voting for Donald Trump this November, but he was not my first choice. And I'm not afraid to point out where he goes wrong. So, you know, to give just two very quick examples there as to how I intend on calling the shots on this new podcast, America on Trial. So Jack Smith has these two federal prosecutions, one in Florida, one up in Washington, D.C. The the Florida case, uh, to, to me, the fact pattern there was from day one was was potentially the most damaging. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, are trying even on the right are trying to brush under the rug the fact that if the federal indictments fact pattern is correct. And I think at least when it comes to this, it probably is. Donald Trump actually ignored a grand jury subpoena. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to put on my, my Trump apologist hat and pretend like that's a good thing. You, you, you can't do that. So to give just another very quick example, you know, when it comes to this E. Jean Carroll, this ridiculous defamation ruling, $83.3 million in damages, including $65 million in punitive damage, probably unconstitutional, by the way, Stu, under current Supreme Court doctrine, you cannot have punitive damages that so exceed the compensatory damages. Happy to get into that if you want to. But my point is is more relevant, which is I'm not afraid to say that even though this is total nonsense, that this verdict, this order is absurd. Donald Trump at some point should have probably stopped talking. Now, he was justified to talk at first. You know, here's this woman coming out and saying, you sexually assaulted me, you groped me 25, 30 years ago in a Bergdorf Goodman off Fifth Avenue. I would want someone who's president of the United States or wants to be president again to come out and vociferously, robustly defend his integrity, say that I did not do this. But, you know, at some point, you probably should stop or else you're going to get slapped with a ridiculous and probably unconstitutional verdict and, and damages or like this. Anyway, those are just two examples of, as to how I intend to call all this thing. I, I'm obviously a conservative. I, I'm going to vote for Trump this fall. I'm very clear about that. But I see the man for who he is, and that's how I'm going to call it. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, let, let me go to the E.G. and Carroll here thing for a second, because it was fascinating. My understanding was she was not even asking for $83 million, like this was above and beyond significantly what she was even asking for. Um, this was a, a massive penalty. And I think, like, I, there was an article, it was uh, Politico, that said the Trump defense industrial complex, kind of what we were talking about, goes uh, goes a bit quiet after the Carroll verdict and tries to speculate as to why that is. And like thinking about it myself, it's like, well, 
Number one, it doesn't really affect him in his presidential run, which is really why we care about Donald Trump. I mean, like, look, we want, you know, if they want the guy to be the nominee, want to be the president, you care about whether it affects him. And like people either believe her or don't. No one who is going to vote for Donald Trump is considering the possibility that he actually assaulted her in this way. I don't I don't know anyone who thinks it's real outside of people on the left who already hate Donald Trump. So I don't think it affects him there. And number two. It's not one of these things where he's going to get thrown into prison. It's it's a it's a monetary penalty against a guy who tells us he's worth ten billion dollars. I mean, look, if he wants to go out there and run his mouth and get and get you know slapped on the wrist for eighty three million dollars every once in a while, that's kind of his choice. He's made a calculation that he wants to keep doing this, and that's why I think people aren't gripped by this. Do you think I have that right? Well, I, I think part of what makes the story maybe a little juicy is that the underlying woman here, E. Jean Carroll, is a certified nut job. I mean, this is a woman who, you know, she started doing the rounds on liberal television. She was all over CNN, MSNBC for a little while there. And then she started talking about how she had these delusions about how she wanted to be raped. And then I think the booking producers over at CNN and MSNBC were like, oh, my God. I mean, like she cannot be on air. Not only is this crazy, but she's going to undermine her own case. And we want to bankrupt Donald Trump. So they ended up pulling her from all the airways. If I'm not mistaken, I think she owns a pet that she named after her genitalia. So th- this is this this is a very bizarre woman to yes. put it mildly there, which probably contributed to the vociferousness of Donald Trump's pushback when she when she accused him of these things that that one can presume that that he probably did not do. But yeah, to your point, Stu, this is a civil lawsuit. Now, interestingly, there's other relevant civil lawsuits as well. So. Tish James, the attorney general of New York, when it comes to this fraud case, a case that some people are forgetting about, it's very hard to keep track of these things. It's part of the reason why we're trying to do this podcast in the first place. But Tish James is actually pursuing against Trump and the Trump organization this sprawling fraud case. That, that's what we, we heard in the headlines a few months ago about how they're alleging that he's undervalued Mar-a-Lago and various assets for purposes of securing more favorable bank loans and getting better interest rates and tax treatment and all of this stuff. That's actually a civil lawsuit. That's actually not a a, a prosecutorial lawsuit. It's a bit of a quirk in New York state law that it ends up being a civil lawsuit. That to me is the, is the civil lawsuit that's the more interesting one. But yeah, for, for the most part, too, we care about this because you have a former president being criminally charged for the first time. And that's Alvin Brad, that's Fonnie Wills, Fonnie Wills, excuse me, and that's Jack Smith. Those are the four cases there. And to me, those remain the four most interesting ones. I think, uh, you know, um, going to the sort of bigger picture here, um, the reason, one of the reasons why Donald Trump was so successful in the primary at least as it has existed so far, is because of these indictments, right? Like people, I think rightly so, saw this as politically motivated in most cases and said, this is crazy. Like they're going to try to take this guy out before he can even run. They're not even going to let me make the choice as they argue for the power of democracy. I think this really offended people. And it was one of the reasons they rallied towards Trump in in the primary. And, you know, but do we have a sense yet? Number one, how much of this is actually going to hit Trump? I mean, I, I know a lot of these seem to the right, especially as really frivolous. But like, do we have any idea how many how many of these things are going to be successful, even if it's just with a, a biased jury? And then how does that affect, uh, you know, an, an independent voter who might make up uh, the decision here between Trump and Biden? 
So the latter question, I, I think, is probably the easier one, which is how, do, how does it affect the median voter? So, you know, the polls do tell us this. I mean, the polls do say that that there are a lot of voters out there who at least what based on what they tell pollsters that they will not vote for someone who is is, is guilty as judged by a judge and jury in, in a criminal court of law. It's a very healthy percentage, actually, which, you know, by the way, Stu, not to not to relitigate history, pun very much intended. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why I happen to prefer a different candidate. This is actually one of my arguments on behalf of Ron DeSantis that you know Republicans probably don't want to put forward someone who is facing daunting statistics and possible headwinds when it comes to people turning out to vote like that. Having said that, you know if you look at the actual cases there, Certainly, most of these cases and most of the indictments against them definitely are nonsense. I mean, when it comes to Fonnie Wills, when it comes to Jack Smith's case in Washington, D.C., both those cases are, are pretty much predicated upon his post-2020 election conduct up, in, uh, up until January 6, 2021. You know, you can't criminalize free speech in this country. You know, you actually have a right to lie. Now, there are some things that, that you are not allowed to lie about. So, for example, Congress passed a statute called the Stolen Valor Act, which actually prohibits you and criminalizes saying that that you received a certain military honor, a Purple Heart or something like that when you actually did not receive. So there are certain things that you can criminalize when it comes to lying. But for the most part, you're you're allowed to lie. Um, and that's, you know, that's conceding just for the sake of argument, as lawyers do, that what Trump said after 2020 was a lie. We can debate whether it actually was a lie or not. Anyway, I, I all that to say that I think the Georgia and the Washington, D.C. prosecutions really are, for the most part, Nonsense, but Georgia is going to be a very tough jury pool. This is Fulton County, Georgia. It's a very blue area. Alvin Bragg, the, the first of the four prosecutions, the Soros funded prosecutor up in New York County, New York, and Manhattan. You know, that case is total nonsense, dude. Back, back when Alvin Bragg unveiled that, you couldn't even get the New York Times editorial board to defend them. Jake Tapper was struggling to do so live on CNN. But again, the jury pool. So he he's going to run into trouble here. The big question, the big question is one of timeline. Are any of these prosecutors going to be able to get a verdict before the November election this fall? It's going to be a real rush. They're going to try to rush it. But criminal procedure takes a long time. You have motions. You have this. You have that. We're looking at it right now in Georgia. Just on Friday, the, the Georgia Senate start of this new committee to investigate whether Fonnie Willis is mishandling taxpayer resources. And then we have this whole love affair, this scandal between her and Nathan Wade. So this stuff takes time. So I think Alvin Bragg actually could be the one because it's the most straightforward. It's it's legally frivolous, but it happens to be straightforward. He could potentially do it. But Stu, that case is just so frivolous that I actually happen to think it wouldn't harm Trump. If anything, it might hurt him if they have a bogus guilty verdict before November. But these are all the fun things that we're looking forward to talking about on America on trial. Yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. There's so many things happening. You've got, I mean, what is the number? I mean, between you have four, the four major criminal situations and then how many are on the civil side? At least, what, three? Am I, am I getting that right? I'm losing track. Yeah. Well, well, you have the defamation litigation. You have the Trump Organization civil lawsuit. And then, Stu, let's not forget there's all this 14th Amendment Section 3 litigation as well. I mean, that's very important stuff. That's ballot access stuff when it comes to Colorado, Maine. And by the way, on the show, we're not just going to we're not sticking to Trump only. We'll talk about Hunter Biden's own legal issues, the gun prosecution, mm. the tax case. And we're going to talk about big legal issues in general as well, like what's happening there in Texas at the border. So we're talking about it all. Yeah. Quickly, for one more minute on the Texas border situation, we talked about that to open up the show. Um, do you, I mean, like, it seems to me that Texas has a really legitimate argument here yeah. uh, to defend uh, their state when, the, when the, the federal government won't do anything uh, to, to, you know, have these laws have any teeth. Am I right on that? Like, what, where does this end up? 
Yeah, I think it's constitutional law 101. Uh, both the federal government and the state governments are sovereign within their own spheres of influence. There is there, there is nothing about sovereignty that does not include the right to exclude. In fact, you might say the right to exclude is the very definition of sovereignty. That's straight up Antonin Scalia writing in a 2012 case called Arizona versus United States. If Texas does not have the right to exclude those that it does not want, especially doubly when the federal government is failing to secure the border, then Texas ceases to be a, a, a sovereign entity. And going back to, to, the, to the Philadelphia Convention to, to, to draft the Constitution back in 1787, you know, the states would literally not have ratified the U.S. Constitution, would not have created the federal government if they were ceasing to be sovereign power. So it's totally illogical. Texas is well within its right to construct new wire fencing. All the Supreme Court did last week, Stu, was it said that the Border Patrol could snip fencing that is up. It actually said nothing. It was silent about what Texas can do in implementing and installing new wire fencing. So I think the feds are going to stand down here. Greg Abbott has every Republican governor in the country with him other than Governor Scott up in Vermont. That's a very strong showing. Biden's not going to want to risk an immigration showdown where, where he's polling underwater on immigration by 25, 30 points in an election year. I think that he's bluffing. Abbott's calling his bluff, and I think he's going to be successful. Hmm. Josh Hammer, senior editor at large for Newsweek. Be sure to check Check out the new podcast. It's available now. Today was the debut. Make sure to subscribe to this thing. It's called American, America on Trial with Josh Hammer. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. And this will be really a really useful tool for you as we go through this uh, election season. There's so much to understand. And Josh breaks it down really, really well. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the program. You bet, Stu. Thank you. Watch anything good on uh, Netflix recently? Uh, I do. I watched American Nightmare, the uh, that's a uh, you know true crime series, which is freaking crazy. Uh, if you like that sort of stuff, it's good. It's only three episodes. Um, uh, but another thing, if you're a longtime viewer of this particular program, you know that when Suits was actually on, I was obsessed with it, especially toward the end of its run, where I had like fallen in love with these characters and watched every episode. And I don't, I don't know, I just, for whatever reason, loved Suits. I think it's great. Pat Gray's on the bandwagon as well with me on this. And then a few years later, you know who else joined the bandwagon? Everyone in the world, apparently. Suits sets another streaming record for 2023, the biggest year ever. This show that was on USA Network goes to Netflix and then people start watching it. And it's like one of those things that because it was on USA, I remember at the beginning thinking, oh, it's, it's on USA Network. How good could it be? But you get addicted to it pretty fast. And it's well done. It's a good series. They're going to have a, uh, some spinoff of it coming up, too. We'll see if that's any good. Um, but it's so popular now that it actually beat The Office, which is crazy. The Office... Beat The Office, a pretty uh, amazing thing for uh, Suits, the series, which is, you know, a few years. It ended, I think, in 2019. So crazy, crazy story for Suits. And that's why you're getting, of course, the spinoff. Also crazy success for the NFL. You know, many, many people told me the NFL was going to have trouble after, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick, some idiot on the sidelines, took a knee and it was supposed to sink the whole league. It did not. It did not. Saw a graphic today of the top 100 broadcasts of the year. Like 94 of them are the NFL. Like it is, there's NFL, then there's a few college football, and then there's the, the Oscars. 
in the top 100 for the year. Uh, 49ers, of course, uh, playing the Kansas City Chiefs. You probably know that already. Just an, I mean, look, the Chiefs beating the Ravens, not a huge surprise, honestly, to me. I thought it was a you know, toss-up type of game. Um, although I thought maybe the Ravens could win. I don't know. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, every time the playoffs happen, goes into this cocoon, and he's just not that good, and they lost. Uh, so that's not a huge surprise to me. I would have been completely stunned if the 49ers lost to the Lions. And I was rooting for the Lions in such, with such intensity. It was almost like uh, it was uh, rooting against the Cowboys. It was almost to that level. And I really, really wanted Detroit to win. They got it to a 24-7 lead, and all the things went wrong afterward. I mean, just complete and total collapse. It was, uh, you know, they decided to kick the field goal at the end of the first half instead of going for a touchdown, which is defensible. You go up three scores. But then two other times they have the same choice to go for the field goal or go for it from farther distances, and instead decide to go for it, don't get it either time. They have multiple just dropped passes in massively crucial situations. Brock Purdy's throwing interceptions directly to Detroit guys. They hits off their helmet, and then the San Francisco guy catches it. I mean, just a catastrophe of problems if you happen to be anyone who isn't a San Francisco 49ers fan, of which there are many, by the way. They were, they're very well represented as a fan base uh, in the United States. And they've had a lot of success. You feel bad for Detroit, though. Even, I think even Niners fans feel a little bad for Detroit. They've had, uh, you know, six, it's 1950-something was the last time they were in a championship. They've never been in a Super Bowl. They're one of the classic NFL franchises, and they never can get there. And honestly, as a person who is going to be in Vegas in a couple of weeks, I really wanted to see Detroit Lions fans rip up Vegas for a weekend. That would have been amazing. Like, you know, Kansas City fans, they go every year. San Francisco fans, they're used to it. Plus, they're, you know, they go to Vegas, they're close to it, they go routinely. Detroit fans, they would the entire city would have been on fire on like Friday. It would have been incredible. Uh, and I'm very upset. Uh, that I did not get to see and experience that. But congratulations to uh, Mahomes, who's like, you know, making his case as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And uh, the 49ers, who have a great, great uh, roster, a good coach, and had an incredible comeback, despite the fact that, to be honest about it, the Lions pretty much handed them that game. But congratulations to both teams. You know, we've had a situation for months uh, where you know, forces that were supplied and funded by Iran have been attacking U.S. troops. This has happened over and over again. We've had really close calls. We've had ships on fire. Uh, this has happened for a long time. And, you know, the reaction from the Biden White House has been pretty much a shoulder shrug. They fired a couple of uh, missiles here and there, but really haven't done much of anything. We knew eventually this would uh, result in American troops dying. And unfortunately, it has gone to that where three American troops have died due to a drone attack uh, in Jordan. Um, it's just an awful situation and devastating for the, for the families because they're really uh, unnecessary. But this is, the risk of this escalating is a real problem. We're going to talk about that maybe more in depth as we get further into it. But I, I did want to highlight, you know, when you, if you have, uh, you know, someone, if the, at least the five people in the world you'd want on television talking about this, obviously you couldn't make that list without Corinne Jean-Pierre, one of the smartest people in America. And here she is trying to give condolences uh, to the troops. Watch. 
What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences deepest. Uh, go out and to our he heartfelt condolences go out to, to the families, the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, three brave, uh, three, brave uh, three, three brave, uh, three folks who are, three folks. who are military folks, who are military brave, folks. who are who, always who are fighting, brave. who are fighting on behalf and of behalf. Uh, this administration, of the well, American people, of, obviously more so, more importantly, yeah. uh, we lost those souls. Okay, just so you know, uh, the troops are not fighting on behalf of the administration. That is not how this works. Uh, they are, you know, she, again, did kind of immediately correct herself, but uh, just give you the quote one more time. What I will say, our deepest, obviously our deepest condolences go out to, and our hell heartfelt condolences go out to the families who lost uh, three, three brave, a uh, three brave, a uh, three brave of three folks who are who are military folks who are brave who are always fighting and who are fighting on behalf and of this administration of the American people obviously more so more importantly we lost those souls and I can't think of any better tribute to our fallen soldiers than that Okay, so here's what happened. Environmental extremists are at it again. They're trying, unfortunately, they're not gluing themselves to anything this time, so we can't call it idiots gluing themselves to things, which is my favorite segment on the show. Uh, this time they're throwing soup at the Mona Lisa. Here's the video, and again, how does this keep happening? They have thermoses, and they've thrown the soup at glass. Then they come and make their dumb statement, which of course is filmed by someone who's probably working with them. Uh, there's soup on the glass in front of the Mona Lisa, which is just you know, not really a commercial for global warming or anything like that. It's more of a commercial for glass because the glass just did its job. So they just have to wash the glass. So really strong protest from environmentalists. I think that makes you, though, want to ditch your SUV. Am I right?